0: I remember when I was on Dr. Phil, he had some gal come on and she started talking about getting up at 4 a.m. She was going to bed at 10 so that she'd get a double workout in. And he was celebrating that. And I think, uh-oh, you know, this is not good. So you got to have that quality sleep the night before. That's the first important thing. I am a huge fan of starting the day with meditation, starting the day with meditation and then immediately going and seeing the sunlight and having really great coffee.
1: I'm Doug Bopes Welcome back to another episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is JJ Virgin. JJ is a celebrity nutritionist, a personal trainer, and fitness hall of famer. She's also a New York Times bestselling author and a leading voice in the health and fitness space. Today on the show, we discuss the biggest fat loss mistakes people make, how to effectively lose body fat, the best foods for fat loss, how JJ saved her son's life, the best thing you can do first thing in the morning to optimize your day for fat loss the food you should eat first if you want to focus on losing body fat and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome JJ Virgin to the Adversity Advantage podcast. JJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. You got it. I would love to quickly jump right in and I would want to know, you've been in the the business for a long time. A lot of people trust and admire your work. What do you think the biggest mistakes are? that people make when it comes to losing body fat?
0: Well, I'm glad you said losing body fat. So you already like fixed the biggest mistake is people trying to lose weight. Yes. Right? I mean, that's that's the big one. And it just blows my mind. I had to go to the doctor recently and I go in and they put me on a scale and I go, how is it in, you know, in 2023 that I'm still standing on a scale and you are going to use this for what information? Like what information did you just get there? Nothing. Right. And so the very first thing, big mistake we're making, I mean, you wouldn't go on your our computer, say, you know, I want to fly to New York this weekend and not have a starting point. You wouldn't do it. But yet that's what we do here is we go, okay, I want to lose body fat. Then I'm going to look at my weight. Well, how do you know if you lost body fat? If you're looking at your weight, what if you did a big caloric restriction with very low protein and didn't, you know, sat on the couch, you could lose a lot of weight you could become worse, not better because you didn't lose body fat, you lost lean tissue. So I'd say the thing that we're really doing is we're looking at the wrong metrics and women, especially, and I got to tell you, it's, it's, I've been talking a lot about creatine lately and women have been like, Oh, but I'm going to gain weight with that. I go, if you are lucky enough to gain weight with creatine, it means that you have more water in your muscles, this is what we want. If you are one of the few women, because it's rarely happens that actually manages to do that, this is what we want to celebrate, you know, but we are so used to trying to weigh less, be thinner. I had a gal come to me when I owned my gym in Palm Desert and she wanted to lose 10 pounds. And I looked at her and, you know, her body weight was completely normal for her weight, she looked fine. She looked fine in clothes. But once you saw her in a swimsuit, she was just, you know, skinny fat. And when I did her body fat, she was like 25%, 26%. And by the way, I'll tell you, back when I was in doctoral school, the norms they gave us for body fat back in the 80s are totally different than what they say the norms are now because now, you know, you're healthy at any size, which I call BS on. So our norms back then for a woman was 18 to 22%, 25% at the highest, athletic women were in the 15 to 22% range so this one was 25 26%. We worked together a year. She goes to 19% body fat. She dropped 10 pounds of fat, she puts on 10 pounds of muscle and she drops two clothing sizes. She looks amazing and she is disappointed cuz she didn't lose any weight.
1: Yeah, it's interesting you bring that that up that people get upset when they don't lose weight but they've lost body fat and gain muscle because we've put so much emphasis on the scale, like you've said, and we really haven't done a great, I mean, we've come out with all these great tools, right? In the biohacking space, there's so many things where you could essentially track like every metric of your health that you wanted to for the most part, but we haven't come up with anything, you know, more modern that's accurate. That test body fat percentage that people can do from the comfort of their home. I mean, unless, unless, I'm, unless I'm, I mean, I know there's DEXA scans. You can you, you can do stuff like
0: that. Yeah, I have a DEXA scan at home. I do it every day. No, okay, so yeah, that's it is a big challenge. Like, and, th- and now they're saying, well, the DEXA is not really accurate. Get an MRI. I'm like, you know what? Sometimes you have to say good is good enough. So what I did was um, I had people do a DEXA, then go home. Use a bio-impedance machine. No, they're not going to be accurate like the DEXA. However, we're going to look at the trends. I know that a DEXA reads me, the bio-impedance machine I have at home reads me 9% higher than the DEXA. And so I know that. I'm just watching the trend. I'm making sure that I am not dropping, you know, dropping skeletal muscle. I'm not, all of a sudden, my total body water isn't dropping, right? So you watch the trend, and that's what you can use a bioimpedance machine for not for the absolute but for the relative changes to make sure they're going in the right direction and you it, you know you're getting great information there and then every 6 months go do a DEXA
1: and so you talked about this person that gained muscle lost body fat and i think that is the goal i would think for for many people i mean unless they're heavily obese and they just need to lose weight just for the sake of like their immediate health right and so with that said We know that one of the biggest mistakes that you've identified is is not thinking of it as losing weight. It's more losing body fat and making sure that your body fat percentage goes down in in a healthy range. What are some of the things that you would have somebody do if they're looking to minimize muscle loss while also losing body fat?
0: Yeah, and it's interesting. I worked with an amazing endocrinologist about 20 years ago, you know, it was all the way up to doctoral level classes in exercise physiology. We didn't even have any classes in endocrinology. Like I bought the first exercise endocrinology textbook later on, but working with her, she really helped me understand. And one of the phrases she said, you know, understanding hormonal effects with exercise, with eating, with all of that was you you don't lose weight to get healthy, you have to get healthy to lose weight. And so if you think about that, what are we really trying to do, we're really trying to make sure that our body is metabolically healthy, it can build muscle, it can lose fat, you have to be metabolically healthy to lose fat. And so when I look at this, the first thing I always feel like, what's the thing that we can attack first? Well, we all eat. Right? You know, so, and I, and I like just kind of trading some behavior. So I have a mantra, and that mantra is eat protein first. The reason being is if you eat protein first, and I've been doing this little challenge with my community. It's a seven-day challenge. All they have to do is figure out how much protein they should have. I have them dose between 0.7 to 1 gram per pound of target body weight. Then I have them get a minimum 100 grams a day, minimum 30 grams at a meal, 40, 50 better, and especially at your bumper meals. And what I've seen by just doing that, that their cravings go away. You know, you know that when you eat protein, you're way more satiated. We've got a higher thermic effect of food, like twenty to thirty percent of those calories, just from the protein, are going to be used in the digestion assimilation. It's going to help you with getting the essential amino acids so that you can go through muscle protein synthesis. So just that that one thing can be this little hinge that that swings a big door. So that's the place I always like to start cuz what I've found in the last 40 years is people need a quick win. Right? They need some kind of quick win that helps them start to feel better. But again, I won't do any of this unless someone is willing to do two things. They have to be willing to understand their body composition and track those changes because again, they may not not see my husband We went and did DEXA's last year because I decided for my 60th birthday, I wanted to get into the best shape of my life. I did my DEXA at 59. It was exactly the same as my DEXA at 39. It was 154 pounds, 13.9% body fat. My husband, who looks great in clothes, um, was 25% body fat. And so he dropped in six months, he dropped 20 pounds of fat, put on 19 pounds of muscle. What would have happened if we weren't using a body composition scale and going back and and looking at the DEXA again, right? So you have to do that. And the other thing when you're doing that eating protein first, you have to actually weigh your protein and track it. You know, this no like deck of cards, hand, like no, you actually have to to track it and know how much you're really getting. Because while people tend to underestimate what they eat anywhere 20 to 40, 25 to 40%, they are nowhere near what they need in their protein. They're overeating on fat and carbs. And that was, that was my husband. He was like Siete chips here and some hummus and nuts and, you know, (laughs) piling on all that and not getting enough protein in.
1: Yeah. Healthy foods, still calories. Right. And I think with, with, with that said, um, you know, I've often made that mistake too. Like when, you know, I'm trying to reach some sort of fitness goal or health goal, if I'm trying to drop some body fat or get leaner or whatever, um, that I don't track my food because I'm like, all right, well, I know what I'm eating. I've been doing this long enough. I'm eating healthy food. I mean, it must be, um, I must be doing it the right way. And then I find that, you know, I'm actually eating a little bit more than I need to, and I need to adjust accordingly. You deal with a lot of busy people. I know you're busy yourself. Um, and while that's not necessarily an excuse, it's just the fact of the matter is, I mean, people are just busy. And I think sometimes they have a hard time. Tracking things would have been of uh, what's been a system that's worked well for you throughout the course of your life or something that's worked well for this group that you lead or people that you coach that helps them effectively and efficiently track what they're eating.
0: You know all of this stuff comes down to a decision, right? Because I had a great nutrition mentor early on who said, you know, if you don't have time, make time. To me, if you say you don't have time to track, like really, I use the chronometer app. It saves your stuff. You can save your favorite meals. You can save your things and just move them over. So, you know, it's like they say they don't have time, but yet you look at the places people are spending time. So I think that really is much more about deciding you're going to just do this and make the commitment. And I think, you know, you don't have to track for the rest of your life. I say do it for a month. Get really clear. And then if things start to slide, I believe that we need to weigh in every single day. And do if if things are, you know, staying the same on your scale, then you're fine. But if not, do a tape measure around your waist every week to help with the visceral adipose tissue markers. But, um, you know, you have to do those things. They're just part of what you do every single day. And if your weight starts to shift, go back to tracking again, right? Because it's just like, uh, you know, drinking wine. You drink a glass of wine at home and all of a sudden your wine glass gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you go to a restaurant and you go, that's that's what a four ounce glass of wine looks like. <laughs> what was I pouring in my glass? It's the same thing. We just, like the portions in the United States are just insane. So it really helps you learn and connect the dots. Because as you said, too much healthy food is unhealthy.
1: Outside of protein, um, what are what are some of your favorite foods to eat? Like if you were looking to, to drop some body fat, or if you were if you had a client that wanted to lose um, some fat around the waistline, like what other types of foods would you say you would you would you know make sure that are incorporated into some sort of plan to
0: ensure that they're not only going to stay within their caloric range, but it's actually going to help them reach their goals. So I always start protein first. That's the and I say eat protein first and build your plate around protein. Next thing I add in are non-starchy vegetables. I am not afraid of vegetables. I do not believe they are the foe. I know there is so much stuff. I'm like, it is amazing having been in this field for 40 years, seeing the different things that have been vilified, right? I mean, and now we've got evil plants. I'm like, okay, come on. So I think plants are good. Um, certain ones need to be cooked, right? But, you know, greens and deep leafy greens and rainbow of vegetables, that's my next thing. All the non-starchies, at least five servings a day, a half cup cooked, cup raw, um, more is better. So we regularly get like 10 servings of non-starchy vegetables a day. We're big on mushrooms and onions that we put on our grass-fed. We found, finally found a company that we could get grass-fed bone in New York's. Like we have to ship them in, but yay. Um, And we'll do like tons of mushrooms and onions and then broccoli on the side, add a little ghee. So I do that. I do two servings of fruit a day, generally berries. Um, And that's what I basically, I might have someone go up to three, but I basically keep fruit around two servings. Then I look at how much fat are you getting in? Because if you're eating animal sources, you're going to get in some fat, which is why it's important to get clean animals because you are what you eat eight. So super important to buy quality protein and not eat garbage. And it's one of my big arguments when you see people talking plant-based is they're comparing like their diet to eating junk, junk food, you know stuff like all the uh factory cows. You can't compare that to grass-fed, grass-finished, right? So That's the next step is count in the fat that you might've used on those vegetables, count in the fat in there. And then beyond that, I think you should start with about 100 grams of carbs a day. Start with about 60 grams of fat a day. And then see how you feel. Some people do better, like I think beyond 100, you earn your carbs with exercise, but some people do better pushing their carbs up more. Some people do better pushing their fat up more. What you don't want to do is push up your carbs and fat and drop your protein because that's the obesogenic formula, right?
1: What are your thoughts on adherence? I mean, I've heard you know, I've had like Lane Norton on and he's talked about that. I mean, people can follow like high carb or low carb and it depends based, based on like what they're going to actually follow. Like, do you like what role do you think adherence plays in all of this?
0: Adherence is everything. Like if you try to design a diet, someone's not going to eat. What's the point? It won't work, you know, and or if you design a diet that puts their trigger foods in and they overeat, well, then you've got a problem, too. So you've got to design something that is going to work for them and work for their lifestyle, um, but still follow those basic principles. So, you know, adherence is is everything. And again, like I still, you look at all of the different studies and, you know, high carb and, and high fat with protein constant and calories constant play out the same, you know. So I look at them, I think diets are tools. And I'd lower carbs if I had someone more insulin resistant. I was trying to fix that. I'd lower fat if I have someone who's wanting to really push, has got more adrenal problems or is really trying to push through more cardio and I haven't managed to convince them otherwise <laughs> because that would be the next thing i do is drop that, right? So I think there's uh, there's places to play around with this, but I'm much more of a balanced approach to all of that.
1: When it comes to, you know, losing body fat and specifically like belly fat, like fat around the waist. I feel like people, their first inclination is I'm just going to go do planks and crunches. I'm going to do stuff with the medicine ball, which listen, I think core work is important. Um, however, I know you're very big on resistance training and that that in itself can play a massive role in losing body fat. We talked about this at the beginning that it's important to gain muscle to, to be able to lose, you know, body fat, What is your, I guess, why why do you believe resistance training is is so important? And then, like, how do you, how do you see people incorporating it if they're looking to, you know, stay on this theme of losing body fat?
0: You know, it's so crazy, Um, and it was probably more because we were funded by Precor when I was in graduate school my graduate school degree was, was all focused on biomechanics. And so my work was in spinal lifting biomechanics. So I was the black sheep in the department, everything was cardio focused, we had all these pre core machines, and we had we had people come and do 30 minute aerobic sessions. And that's what everybody was doing their their thesis on. And I did mine on strength. (laughs) Because early on, like I was actually paying my way through graduate and doctoral school by personal training. And what I saw quickly was that I wasn't getting results by just having people do loads of cardio. Despite what we were being taught in school was that you should not have people lift weights till they lose weight. But I was going down to Gold's Gym in Venice, California. And the body, first of all, they had this one little area back then. It was a huge room and one little area in a loft where they had five Schwinn aerodynes. That was the extent of cardio. All of these people who were l- the most ripped lean people ever and women in their 60s and 70s that you would die to look like weren't doing cardio. They were lifting weights and then they were going and having chicken, brown rice and broccoli, right? Like the diet of the bodybuilder. And so if you look at that, you go, okay, okay. The idea out there is if you want to lose body fat, you should do loads of cardio. The reality, especially for that belly fat, and when I think of belly fat, I'm not talking about the the inches you pinch, that's the subcutaneous fat, I'm talking about the deep fat, the visceral adipose tissue. When you look at that fat, you do a lot of cardio, you're going to make that worse, not better. You stress your body more, you're going to create more visceral adipose tissue, not less. If you start to look at it, and what I realized way back then, and I didn't have the science behind it yet to understand why, I just knew that this worked and that didn't, was that when I started to do resistance training, and the way I thought about it in my brain was, I'm basically, if they're doing cardio, it's like they're spending the money they have. If they're doing resistance training, it's like they've invested it and they can spend the interest. So I'm going to have them do the resistance training, which is going to hold everything in tighter. I could clearly see it and improve their metabolism. I mean not dramatically, but muscle obviously has a better metabolic effect than fat, plus it improves insulin sensitivity. So that was always the focus. Then I started to get really interested, and this was when I was on Dr. Phil, I was really interested in why some people struggled with losing weight, despite the fact that it seemed like they were eating healthy and exercising. Now, I couldn't put them in a lab and really make sure they were eating healthy and exercising because the first thing you'd go is, were they really? But I wanted to look at anything that couldn't get in the way of you losing weight or cause you to gain weight or really shift your body composition. And what was clear as I started to dig into that was the role of stress, the role of sleep, the role of things like alcohol, because it's going to be metabolized first and cause. I mean, there's a reason they call it a beer belly. Like, what are those things that can cause problems? So, when I think of visceral adipose tissue, I think you got to handle stress, you got to handle sleep. One poor night's sleep, you're more insulin resistant. Um, you're stressed out, you're going to break down muscle, you've got all those cortisol receptors in your belly, you're going to lay down fat, you're going to crave sugar, you're going to get more uh, possibility of leaky gut, you have more food intolerance, you get more inflamed. And you've got to move off of the cardio and into the resistance training and 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 shift the cardio into high-intensity interval training. And when you look at it, like as we age, we're not losing the endurance Muscles. We're not losing our slow twitch muscles. We're losing the hit training muscles, the resistance training muscles, the fast twitchers. That's where we really need to focus.
1: You brought up stress, and I think this would be a good opportunity for us to shift gears. Um, you know, one of the things that I think people really admire you for is is um, the fact that you helped save your son's life. Um, and I think people will, will relate to this in some way because I think one of the things that inhibits people from losing weight, losing body fat, staying on their goals is stress, is adversity because a lot of times when they're overwhelmed, a lot that's like the first thing to go is their health, their health routine, right? If you could talk a bit about the situation with Grant, like what happened? just paint a picture for the audience in a bird's eye view to give, to, paint, to give some context on how traumatic and stressful that was for you.
0: Okay. And I would throw a, a concept out, a high-level concept, because you said, you know, quite often when people under are under stress, the first thing to go are their healthy habits. You know, they have their reasons now why they can't do something. And I was just actually coaching someone today who's going into surgery and everything's going to, she's going to start everything after surgery. I go, or... You could give this, this is a reason why all this needs to start right now. What if that why not is actually a why too? And so, you know, about a month before the Virgin Diet was coming out, which is crazy time was when a book's coming out for an author. And I was a single mom. My kids are 15 and 16. Bryce, my youngest was 15 and Grant, my oldest was 16. And I li- I, I'm the financial support for the kids. And I'd literally invested my entire advance from this book into the book, um, into doing a public television special, into everything to get this book to go big. And I'd also kind of borrowed some money too. Like I was all in, you know, they say, if you want to burn the, uh, you take the island, you got to burn all the boats, all the boats, they're burned, no safety net. I got no one to take care of me. Like this either goes or we've got a problem. And I was at home. I was in my garage doing some HIIT training, and my son Bryce runs in and says, Grant's been hit by a car and airlifted to the local hospital. Now, in that moment, you know, like, you don't airlift someone for a broken leg. I get in the car with Bryce. We're driving to the local hospital. I'm calling on the phone. He's a John Doe. They will not give me any information. We get in there. And they usher us into a room where they tell me that my son has had a serious accident. He has a torn aorta. And if his torn aorta is not repaired, sometime in the next 24 hour with the risk increasing every hour by 10%, literally, this is what he's saying. I remember it so well that, that, you know, sometime in the next 24 hours, he's going to die unless it can be repaired. But they can't repair it there because he also is in a deep coma with multiple brain bleeds. He's got diffuse axonal injury. And if they were to fix his aorta, his brain would bleed out because the surgery he needs is very specialized. And the only way for him to get that surgery is to go get airlifted to Harbor UCLA except they said he'll never survive that airlift. And they go, even if he were to survive that airlift, he'll never survive that surgery. And even if he were to survive both of those, and I'll just never forget that this doctor said this. I I just was looking at him going, you said this. He said, your son would be so brain damaged, it wouldn't be worth it. And my son Bryce is looking at this doctor. Now, I have taught my kids to question authority. And so my son's looking at Bryce, at the doctor and says, so maybe a 0.0125% chance he'd make it. And the doctor says, yeah, that sounds about right. And he goes, that's not zero. He goes, we'll take those odds. And my ex-husband who was a medical malpractice trial attorney, started using some very good legal terms to get this doctor off his butt. <laughs> and so we overruled the doctor, got a airlifted lifted to the next hospital. When we got there, we drove through the night. When we get there, entirely different situation. This doctor who had headed up five surgical teams, we had the orthopedics, the neurosurgeons, the cardiothoracic surgeons, the pediatrics, the critical care, they're all there. And he's like, I've got this. You don't need to worry. We do this all the time. No problem. Like literally takes me over. He says, "Let me take you in and I'll show you we're going to do the operation." He was just trying to get me away from looking at my son who literally, you know, when I saw my son for the first time, he had bones sticking through his skin. I, I remember just looking at it like it was like you're looking in a at a movie because your brain's going, "This is not real like you know your your brain's just trying to protect you from this couldn't possibly be you know covered in road rash glass you know tubes coming out of everywhere, and he takes me out of there, takes me over to the o r says this is where I'm going to fix them I'm going to take you over to the to the waiting room. I'll be back in a couple hours to tell you it's all fine i'm like Okay, so literally, I go in the waiting room, I write some blogs, I just sit there, I'm like doing everything just to kind of stay like, just he said it was going to be okay. I, I am a huge believer that thoughts create that we create our reality. And I was going to just stay completely focused on that he was fine. That's I just stayed focused on that. He's going to be fine. Doctor comes out says he's fine. It's all fixed. Now, I'm just a plumber. I don't know if he'll ever wake up. I'm like, so I go in to see him. And I remember because he was still in the adult ICU at the time. And I walk in. He's in a corner of the adult ICU. The sun's coming in. And there's one finger that I can hold. Everything else is bandaged. He'd had like double orthopedic surgery. He'd broken both his femurs. He had 13 fractures. I've got the finger that I'm holding. And the machine's beeping because it's breathing for him and monitoring all his vitals and and I said, Grant, I love you so much. And the nurse is kind of looking at me with pity. But I'd watched those coma movies. And I'd always been fascinated by these these coma movies. And, you know, the fact that you read about the stories of people in comas, and then they come out and they said they could hear. And so I just was like, I know he can hear me. And then I said, your, your, your brother Bryce loves you so much. And I felt the squeeze. Now remember, no sleep. I had no sleep. So I'm like, You know, did I really feel that? I said, your grandma loves you. Nothing. And then I said, your girlfriend Mackenzie loves you so much. And I felt him trying to pick my finger up off the bed. And I really don't know where this came from. And, uh, you know, it turns out his name actually means warrior. And I said, Grant, I just need you to fight. This is going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. You don't need to worry. I'm going to bring in everything that you need in order for you to get to be 110%. But you just got to stay with me and fight for you. Fight for you. And uh, I walked out of that hospital room and charged up, right, just this idea of of 110%. And I thought, how the heck am I going to pull this off? Like, I have a book coming out in a month. If the book doesn't go, I will not be able to pay for anything. And I've got to be here. Like, I'm not leaving his side. And I realized at that moment, and it's funny, you know, here I am publishing a diet book. And I realized how much bigger this was. I walked in at the top height of my like good health, thank God. And I just literally called friends. I had doctors coming in, bringing me stuff to help with stress. Everybody was like, what do What do you need? Like Whole Foods was, bringing, was sending food over. And I just went, you know what? The only way I'm gonna pull this off is if I make sure that I stay right at the top of my game, that I put my self-care first above all the rest of this. I was exercising. Sometimes it just meant I was running up and down the hospital stairs, eating healthy. I got my sleep every single night. I'd leave the hospital at 9. I'd get up around 5.30. I'd drive back over. But I mean, every day got got my sleep. I leaned into all my friends for the support that they could give me. I took a load of stuff for stress, a <laughs> load of adrenal supplements. Um, and Because I knew that if I got even a sniffle, they weren't going to let me in the ICU, you know. And... And I knew, like, not only was I going to be there, I also, they let me use a little office so that I could conduct my interviews. I had to go back to my hotel room and film videos for the the book launch. Like, you know, but the success piece of that whole thing, it was like, A, I just completely kept, held this vision of him 110% and what that would look like. And if a doctor came in to say otherwise, I was like, this is is where he's going to be. And if you can't see that, then, you know, you're not on the team. Because thoughts create, like if they think I had one group of orthopedics and they go, you know, we're just trying to get him to walk again. And I go, that's not satisfactory. So, which, you know, he runs and plays tennis and is ripped and lean and all that. So, um, but... You know, it was holding that vision from the very moment and really looking at, if you look at the most successful people at life, and I think what is success, it's like really being able to live life on your terms around people who you love, right? And making a difference. They're people who can handle high levels of of stress. They've got great resilience, great stress tolerance. It's not that they don't have it. It's that they have learned how to handle it, how to manage it. And it was interesting at the time, like I would feel almost like a wild animal when I just had to go shake it off. I had to go run up and down the stairs. I had to do something. Like HIT training's great for retraining your sympathetic nervous system to handle so I just listened to my body and went, Okay, what do we need here to like be able to let go of some of this so that I can stay focused on the goals here of you know, getting him through this 110%. And you know, crushing this book launch so I can pay for all of the stuff that insurance is never going to pay for that we are going to need to do in order to bring him back.
1: What a story. And that's, I mean, first, I'm really, really sorry that you've had to to go through that. And at the same time, I also understand that that situation has really shaped who you are today. And there definitely was some silver lining in all of that. And, you know, one of the things I'd, I'd like to know, is that obviously you're a coach, you're an entrepreneur, you're very like, I mean, I just can tell that you're just very like intense and like how you do things, right? And how did you balance like being a mom versus being a coach, like with your son where you're so growth oriented and I'm sure you wanted the best for him and you knew what would work for him based on your experience, but you also knew that he had a very long way to go recovery wise and he's also your son.
0: Yeah. Thankfully, I didn't know how long it would be. You know, it's really interesting with brain injuries. It's um, the doctors told me that when he woke up, it would be ugly. I thought they meant like he'd wake up and scream. And then he'd look at me and say, I love you, mom, and everything would be fine. No, ugly for years. Coming out of that level of brain injury where you have to learn every single thing all over again um, you know i mean for for months it was like groundhog's day he wouldn 't remember anything. We had to write everything down. He had to learn how to brush his teeth, how to tie his shoes, what his name was, where he was from, like every single thing. It was like raising a you know a sixteen year old as a baby, but he weighs one hundred and seventy pounds right It was wild to do, and we actually took him out. He went from harbor ucla to children 's Hospital. And they wanted to keep him there months longer. And I said, you know, I feel like he needs to be at home now and that we can do this better there, which was a big undertaking. And, you know, and they're like, and they were not for it. But I knew once he had his blood pressure normalized and we got his crushed heel to the point where he was now walking and stuff, that we could take him back home again. And I'll tell you, it was funny that you said that because... We go home and I'm like, all right, game on, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> game on. We're doing neurofeedback, hyperbaric. I got him to this really amazing training trainer. We are doing battle ropes, like ping pong, all this stuff. And he's like, stop it. <laughs> you know? And that's where I went, okay, we can do all of this, but we can't do all of this right now. And also You know, we we went through that for a couple of years. And then he looked at me and he goes, I'm not broken. And I went, oops. I was so focused on 110% and fixing him and fixing him and fixing him. And I go, wrong message. I'm giving him the wrong message. He is not broken. And so, you know, he has really taught me a lot about all of this because, uh, you know, you're a mom first, just like my dad had um, lung cancer and there were all these things I wanted to do for him. And he's like, and one of my mentor friends said, nope, you're his daughter, not his coach. Stop it. Right. So, you know, what Grant needed most was a family who really cared about him and would lean in. And then we just brought in experts one by one to help and see which things worked and which things didn't and didn't overload him, which is very hard for me, I will tell you.
1: <laughs> so at this point, it's been over 10 years since that, that event happened. And I'm sure you've gained so much wisdom experience through all of that. Looking back now, how has that experience really transformed you as a mother?
0: So what's interesting, because people are like, how did you know how to do that? Well, here's the reality. And this is why... um you know, this personal development is so, so darn critical. Is when I was 30, I had a, an amazing mentor who was supposed to be my business mentor, but the first six months of her being a business mentor, she didn't do any business mentoring. She did life mentoring. She told me I was not ready. Like the first thing she did was have me put rubber bands around my wrist, and every time I had a limiting belief, I had to snap my wrist or a judgment or a critical. And I was like, oh my gosh. But she was known for her mindset training. And for six months, that's what she did. And the reality is, the way that I approached Grant was because that had become so much a part of me. Even when I wrote the book, they're like, how did you know how to do this? I go, I don't know. And then during one interview, I go, oh my gosh, it was Kay Smith. It just became so much of who I was that I forgot about it. And because it was part of me, It was part of it was Bryce Virgin telling the doctor, well, we'll take those odds. He didn't ever see the 99 point, whatever the math is on that 7.5 chance he wouldn't make it. All he ever saw was it's not zero. We'll take those odds right? And Grant the same way, like we've approached Grant, his dad, who's an awesome human said, you know, I I want you to prove every doctor wrong. And we would joke about the Grant's never gonna because they'll never talk, he'll never walk. And we're just like, prove him wrong, prove him wrong, prove him wrong. Right? So we were sitting around the table um, at Thanksgiving, we've all agreed that this was the best thing that ever happened to us. And, you know, we were talking about what we're grateful for and Grant's like, I'm grateful I've had these 10 years. Like, because when you have a son with that level of a traumatic brain injury, you know, the reality, though I don't like to live in reality, is that, you know, his days are not are numbered that like when you have that kind of a brain injury, you have you have degeneration. Now we're doing everything to offset it. But still, it's one thing you kind of have in the back of your head. But then you think about what if, because when you when you know that that's a possibility you go okay how do we make every day have joy how do we make those moments count and the reality is shouldn't we do that anyway
1: like shifting gears a little bit but kind of on the same theme going back to what we how I kind of started this this segue into your story with Grant is that I've been a trainer for over twelve years, and it's like I can't tell you how many times when somebody gets stressed, overwhelmed, busy, like the first thing that goes is is their fitness, and we both know that that should be the thing that stays because of what it does, right? I'm sure you gain some level of compassion for people because of your level of stress during that situation where it could have been easy for you to say, I'm not going to do the steps, I need to like do this, I need to spend more time with Grant but and with 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 that said like what are you what is your advice to people? Who are going through adversity that they're that they're on a goal they're trying to lose body fat, they're trying to transform their health, something happens where they're like, crap, now I'm super stressed, I'm super busy, I got my kids, I got my you know my my spouse, I got my job like what do I do like like wh- where does wh- where does somebody start
0: see, I think that's actually most of our normals at this point, so if we just go with the the reason why not is actually the reason why, and that the reality is. I don't really know anyone who's not busy. You know, I used to have one gal who every time we got on the phone, she'd talk about how slammed she was. And I go, you know what? We actually don't need to have that part of the conversation anymore because you're busy and I'm busy. So we know that. That's like you're saying, I'm a woman. You don't need to. I know that. So let's just not say that. We're all busy. How we approach it is going to be entirely different. So really, the life skills that you could learn right now to be able to approach having a busy life, having stressful situations. Because one thing the last couple of years have taught us is stuff's going to happen. Like we're all going to handle, we're all going to deal with stressful situations. How you show up is a choice. It's a choice and it makes all the difference. And so the little things you might be going through right now, because to me, if if no one's dying, it's a little thing, right? Little thing. You might say, oh, it's financial, financial i take financial over someone dying any day of the week right and i know i've had both i've been nearly bankrupt i've had someone die and someone nearly dying so i've had both i'll pick the bankrupt side of it things but i don't want to really go there again either but you learn going through adversity is like going to the gym you've got to train your nervous system just like you would train your muscles at the gym to be able to tolerate and manage this level of stress because really The more that you go out big in life and show up for things, the more of that that's going to show up for you. And the people who are super successful and happy just can tolerate and handle higher levels of stress. So it's an opportunity. It's not a reason why not to. It's an absolute reason why. Because what got me through all of that was working out, was eating correctly, was sleep, and was having an amazing community that I could call on. And I called on them a lot.
1: I mean you're you're an optimistic person as you mentioned and you don't like to think about like reality. You like to, you know, push the envelope a little bit. Do you think without your fitness and your dedication to your health, you would have remained so optimistic for so long with that with that situation with Grant?
0: I don't know because I've never like I was into health and fitness starting at age 12, so it's never not been a thing. I don't really understand you know back then people used to call us health nuts and i go what is wrong with that like what like like what are you a cigarette nut you know like uh, you know a fast food junkie like i uh, how is this an insult so you know when you really look at how you're going to approach things you want to remove as many of the stressors off your body as possible well what are stressors ultra processed food lack of sleep being sedentary, you know, drinking, like just take those stressors out. Then you only have to focus on the bigger stressor and your body will be able to handle that, right? So let's remove all the extraneous ones that are easy enough to control.
1: Are there, like I I know for myself when I'm going through hard times, like there's just bare minimums that I do. I mean, not that I don't do hardly anything, but it's like, all right, I go to the gym for max, you know, at least 30 minutes. I make sure to take a walk. I make sure to eat healthy. Like all these things that maybe I'm not at a hundred percent when I'm there then there's zero stress, but I'm at least like hitting my bare minimums to maintain my progress. Is there anything that you go back to for your bare minimums when, you know, you're super stressed or I know that everyone's quote unquote busy, but maybe you're in the midst of a book launch or an event or what have you. I mean, is there anything that you fall back on?
0: So here's, this is the craziest thing. So I like, I got really fired up for my 60th birthday. Cause I thought, you know what? I want to like, look at what's possible here. I'm li- literally lifting heavier than I've ever lived in my life. And I started lifting weights at 16 in the high school gym. Cause there weren't health clubs back then with the football team, you know, me and the bros. And, um, so lifting is heavier than I've lifted in my life is saying something. Cause I've always gone out and, and, killed it, right? Um, and so I got all fired up. Like at, for 60, I went down to 11% body fat. And I was like, this is it. It's going to be the decade of expansion. It's going to be amazing. Right after all this happens, like, you know, I'm all fired up. I've got all these plans. My mom, who's 93, my adopted mom, I have to say that because I don't have these genes. I wish I did. But she 93, like lived independently. Amazing. Just goes straight downhill, and I always thought, you know, when she goes, she's going to go out like a light bulb. She went out like, uh kind of dimming. It was not quite what I would have hoped for for her. Total my car, find out that I have to have a hysterectomy, might have cancer. Um, they thought I had some type of it, which I was like, I'm not a cancer person. Um, and a hurricane hits and floods our <laughs> floods our garage. And, and so I'm looking at all this stuff. And what's crazy about all of that is, like someone was like, so what'd you do this summer? I'm like, well, you know, all this stuff went on and I leaned more into meditation. I still did. Like I have my exercise that I will always do. And no matter where I'm traveling, we travel 80% of the time. Like we're in Korea and Bali this summer. I traveled with the TRX. We look at what we're going to do. We make sure we do something every day <clears throat> unless we're stuck on a plane for 12 hours Um But we exercised, we ate healthy, and I leaned into more meditation. Because I knew if anything, with all this crazy wild stuff that was going to get me through it, that would get me through it. And I looked at that and I go, not stressful, not as stressful. The whole thing was like, not really a stressful situation where you look at them and go, you know, if someone else had described that to me and they go, Oh my gosh. And I was like, it was just, it really was not really much of a blip on the screen. You know, my mom like made it to 93. I was like, had a celebration of life. I'm like, she won. She was like 93 living independently. And then, you know, kind of dimmed the switch. And like, we had a great celebration of life and like, she made it. She had, she lived life on her terms. Great for mom, you know? So I think when you get to the point where you have high, high stress tolerance and good resilience, it's not so much that you say, I'm not going to do those things anymore. It's really to me more like, how do you fit this in when you're doing stuff like traveling and busy? How do you make this stuff a priority? And you make it a priority by making sure you do it first, right? Like scheduling it in where it's non-negotiable.
1: So is meditation something that you've always in a way incorporated or it just something that you really dove into because there was this ex- these, these extra levels of stress?
0: So I've lived in flight or fight my whole life. I didn't really realize it till I stopped living in flight or fight. I've had shortness of breath since my twenties. I went to a doctor in my twenties. I said, I have exercise induced asthma. He goes, no, you have anxiety. I'm like, no, I don't. You know, <laughs> you know? I was like, I do not. And, um, <clears throat> So I tried some of these things. I couldn't turn my brain off. I'm like, I don't like it. I'd rather just go to the gym. And then during the pandemic, a bunch of my friends had gone to Joe Dispenza retreats. And, you know, now everything is canceled. And we found out that there was going to be a Joe Dispenza retreat in Orlando. I live in Tampa. I'm like, let's go. We got a whole bunch of us to go. And so I listened to his books and I loved what he, like, loved what he talked about, you know, because again, it's all the stuff I believe in that thoughts create. And it's a, a meditation retreat and you're supposed to do this homework, but I'm like, well, I won't do the meditation homework because I'm going to a meditation retreat. Like I'll do it there, right? And the only thing I'd ever done is is Dave's um, 40 years of Zen, Dave Asprey's 40, because Dave's like, it's like 40 years of meditation in a week. I'm like, perfect, (laughs) I can get done with it. And I remember at the time, just getting really frustrated with it um, because I didn't have any tools. Like now I need to go back and do it because I'll kill it. But I go to this first meditation retreat and all my friends around me are having these amazing experiences and I am having like a war zone in my head because it turns out there's 35 hours of meditation. And so I come out of that week and I go, you know, if a client came to me and said, I'm going to go to a spa for a week and get all my workouts in for the whole next year in a week, I go, no, 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 you do it as a jump start." And then you go get consistent. And I went, this is taking my nervous system to the gym. I just learned some tools. I think the frustrating thing with meditation is you can't tell if you're doing it right. Like you can see with gym, with the gym, I'm like, oh, I, I was pumping 30-pound dumbbells. Now it's 35. Here you're like, I don't know. So I signed up for a June retreat. Now these are week-long, all immersive. Go in June. And what I'm starting to notice is that I'm actually being able to figure out things, get things done, be more efficient. I go back in September, and things are starting to shift. I go back in January, and by that time, my team's like, we want you to keep going. We notice a total difference. But what I noticed by September was my chronic shortness of breath was gone, gone. And, I mean, we're talking 20, 35 years of of chronic shortness of breath is just I don't have it anymore. And I tried everything. Um, you know, like, I know that if I need to figure something out or solve it, I can just solve it in quantum. And so it's just become a thing. It's the thing that we do every day, we wake up, we meditate. And I would say we, we hit it about 90% of the time, there are a couple of days we miss, I don't beat myself up. It's just like exercise, you know, I would say, go for it every day, because you're going to miss days, right? You know, diet, once you're where you want to be, go for it. And A, get an A minus. You don't have to be perfect. That's the all or nothing behavior. And that's when you end up with nothing. But the shift that that's made for me, um, you know, and it was interesting, I was having dinner with Dr. Joe, we actually brought Dr. Joe to Mindshare last year, and we gave him the pinnacle award. And because I really wanted healthcare practitioners to understand that if they put this into their practice, along with what they were doing, the modalities they were doing, and patients could already see themselves healed, they could see themselves where they wanted to be. Like when you look at how I was successful with Grant is we were all so clear about where we we saw Grant. And Grant saw that and took it on too, where we just saw him, you know, limitless. This is where he was going to be 110%. I did a lot of the work that Dr. Joe talks about because that had, was how I was trained by my mentor, just to think that way. But now I have real tools with this. And you look at this and go, you know, I, I was sitting with Joe at dinner and I said, I've lost five pounds since I started meditating, not of muscle, of fat, because my nervous system finally got out of flight or fight. I finally calmed down. And, you know, I think because I'm an adopted kid, uh, and there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on when you're, you know, adopted at birth that this finally got me kind of settled into like, right. So, um, you know, whether it's Dr. Joe Dispenza's work, who I love, or maybe Emily Fletcher's Eva Meditation or Nick Ortner tapping, there's like so many great solutions out there, breath work. If like Grant, Grant, my son is a big breath work guy. He's like a Wim Hof aficionado. <laughs> he whims. So it's like, whatever it is, you find that thing that works really well for you. And, you know, you take your nervous system to the gym, just like you take your your muscles to the gym, right?
1: You talked about how the meditation has become like a a regular a regular practice for you, and um, I think there's a lot to be said for how you start and end your day like I think if you get up and you know you eat like cereal and you just drink no water and you go about your day and then that becomes like a habit and then you start to stack other bad habits and it sets you up for failure for the rest of the day i think and then the other thing I think is true is that at night if you're just drinking tons of alcohol, if you're drinking loads of caffeine at night, if you're staring at your screen up until you know, the time you go to bed, you know it's going to mess up your sleep. And now you're like trying to play catch up the next day. So in your opinion, in your experience, what do you think is the best way for somebody to start their day if they're looking to optimize their health and stay on track with their fat loss journey?
0: Well, first of all, it starts with getting a really good quality night's sleep and not stealing from sleep to start some crazy morning routine. So I remember when I was on Dr. Phil, he had some gal come on and she started talking about getting up at 4am. She was going to bed at 10 so that she'd get a double workout in. And I'm thinking, and he was celebrating that. And I think, uh uh-oh, you know, this is not good. So you got to have that quality sleep the night before. That's the first important thing. Um, I am a huge fan of starting the day with meditation. Like, you know, starting the med- day with meditation and then immediately going and seeing the sunlight and having really great coffee. <laughs> Big coffee fan. Now, for me, you know, i played around with all sorts of stuff. I used to journal every morning, read books every morning, but what I found that I've settled on now after moving into the meditation thing is morning is my money time for my brain. And that's where I really do my best program development might be reading the latest research. So that's, that's kind of my sacred time for that, that I do now. So that seems to be working really well. I played around with some other things, but I find starting the day with meditation and, you know, some days today we did a 30 minute, some days it might be a 15 minute, you know, whatever it is, we get something in changes, just changes everything.
1: I'm curious really quickly. Um, I know you've been dialed into your health for some time. You've had a lot of success in your career as a parent, helped save Grant's life, you know, great mom, all the things. Was there a moment where you realized, like, man, like, I need to like fix this fight or flight thing? Like, I got to like dive into something so that I can take my life to the next level?
0: You know, it was a not so blind spot. Like, I knew it was there. I remember I was. Teaching, I had brought a um, workshop in for healthcare practitioners on adrenal salivary index testing. And the lab director was like, You have to take the test. I'm like, I'm not taking the test. And took the test. And of course, I had total adrenal exhaustion. I fixed my adrenals, worked with an adrenal specialist, and then I went and did it again, trashed them again. And this went on for years where I would get them all fixed, trash them again, get them all fixed. And I was like, Fine. And so, I'd say it was just a thing that I don't know why I avoided it for so long, um, but I did. Like, it was the thing that I ignored, <laughs> you know. And I look back now and I think, gosh, had I had this tool in place during my 30s um, You know, when the kids were 30s and 40s, when I was going through a really contentious divorce, thankfully now we're really great friends and, you know, some crazy financial problems and a son getting diagnosed with bipolar, like just had I had that tool, like it would have been so much better. So I was like, I don't know why I decided to just ignore for so long. It's just, I didn't want to address it. And I think, you know, we all tend to do that in some area, you know, Um, and usually it's the most... Blaring one that we need to address, and and you know you fix the biggest one, a whole lot of other things become much easier. So I just look at this and go. I made I made things so much harder for myself for so long. It's just it's just a shame. So if you are listening to this, this is a public service announcement <laughs> because I think it's one of those ones where you know it's kind of a badge of honor to be stressed. It's like it's not you know, you are so much more effective. I get so much more stuff done and accomplished in less time by taking that time and just, you know, going into the quantums, best way to put it, just calming it down.
1: Yeah. So well said, because in order for any of this stuff that we've been talking about throughout the course of this episode to really work well, you have to effectively manage your stress and and stay even keel so that these processes can can play out in the way that they're intended to. And, and JJ, I wanted to thank you so much for your time and for coming on. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all the great info, for getting vulnerable and talking about the experience with Grant. I think people are going to get a ton of value out of this conversation. If they want to stay connected with you, if they want to follow your work, if they want to check out your podcast, if they want to buy your books, if they want to look into what you do with Mindshare, where's the best place to do that?
0: So all of the consumer stuff is at jjvirgin.com and that's got our new protein calculator and all sorts of fun stuff. We're really focused on, I'm really focused on YouTube now. So YouTube and the podcast, which we need to get you on clearly, have to have you on my podcast. And then Mindshare is at Mindshare Collaborative if you are a health professional looking to expand your reach and collaborate with other super cool health professionals
1: amazing. I will be sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes and I would be honored to be a guest on your show. So JJ, thank you so much for coming on. The audience is going to, like I said, get a ton of value out of this conversation. So thanks again.
0: Thank you.